1966, way, way back, long before my time, the classics. I'm just kidding, I, I am a classic. Simon and Garfunkel released a song called I Am A Rock. And uh, you've probably heard it on the radio. They wrote this, part of, the, part of the lyrics. I am a rock, I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving. I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. They go on. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. One of the greatest punishments in our uh, justice system, in our prison system, is when someone is relegated or resigned or assigned to solitary confinement, known in short as solitary. If you saw the movie Shawshank Redemption, the main character, Andy Dufresne, to the horror of these other hardened criminals, is thrown in solitary confinement, known as the hole there in Shawshank for two weeks. And then on the back end of that, he receives another month in the hole. I want to talk with us tonight about the antithesis, the, the other end of this, the other extreme end, if you will, something called community. What is community? I think probably a word that's thrown around often. What does community really mean? Joy and I were uh, passing through, we were actually in Depot Bay, Oregon, and I saw this sign along the freeway uh, advertising a new housing development, and it, and it said this, new communities coming soon. And I thought to myself, what do they really mean by that? Does it, does it mean that there are simply new houses being built? Does it mean that there will be new families, people living in those homes who may or may not know one another, but they refer to it as a community? Even as you walk into New Hope Eugene, which, which you will soon, again, you haven't been here for a while, but you will, the first thing you see on the wall as you enter our foyer is our purpose statement to help people discover God, community, and purpose. What do we mean by this? Even my position a year and a half ago as a church, we created the pastor of discipleship and community life. What do we mean? Dictionary.com describes community or defines community this way. Number one, a social group of any size whose members reside in a specific locality, share government, for instance, and often have a common cultural and historical heritage. Maybe that's what the housing development meant when they put up that sign. Number two, a social or religious occupational or other group sharing common characteristics and interests and perceived or perceiving itself as distinct in some respect from the larger society within which it exists. So maybe a business community set within a larger community, a, um, a community of scholars set within a larger community, maybe within a university. I, I like this. How about, how about this third one? In the ecclesiastical or religious world, it's a group of men or women or both leading a common life according to a common rule, a common life according to a common rule. Well, what would be that common rule? In our case, it would be the Bible and the leading of the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is that the Bible 
uh, gives us a word at the core of this idea of biblical community, or the title of my message tonight is Jesus Community. There's a word that exists at the nucleus, and it's a little Greek word called koinonia. In the New Testament, uh, you may see the English word uh, inserted there uh, uh, as part of the translation, maybe the word participation or share or fellowship or taking part in or contribution. Let me share with you a couple of examples to kind of galvanize this idea. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 that we just finished studying. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He's talking about Jesus and may share in his sufferings, koinonia. He said this in 1 Corinthians 1.9, the same apostle Paul, he said, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, koinonia, of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then back to the preamble of Philippians chapter one and verse five, the apostle Paul is talking about his great love and how much he misses the Philippian church and how much he's praying for them. And he says this, because of your participation, koinonia in the gospel from this day until now. And friends, I think over the course of the first 2000 years of church history, we've lost the full impact of this word koinonia. In fact, sometimes among uh, Bible college graduates and seminarians, the, the word is so often used that it's made fun of and, and simply the English word fellowship is inserted there, but it means so much more than just fellowship. Let me illustrate it this way. I grew up in a, um, in a small, uh, non-denominational, charismatic community church. And we had roots in Open Bible and Foursquare and even some Baptist roots and Assemblies of God. And we had this building on our property that we called the Fellowship Hall. And it was distinct from where we had church called the Sanctuary. And as a kid, I could never figure out um, why it was called the Fellowship Hall. It was just very churchy to me. It wasn't a hall or a hallway as a kid, my thinking. And I didn't even know what the word fellowship meant. And all of this created, I, uh, based on my experience in that building, some mixed feelings, both good and bad. Uh, we always seem, for instance, to have wonderful food from time to time. A little word that came to love is the more I heard it, this word potluck uh, in the church world. And uh, I met some of my best friends in that building. I, I had some of the most beautiful, wonderful saints teach me about the Bible and teach me about Jesus in that building. I met girls in that building. Conversely, uh, as a young man, I, was, I, I poured a, an entire carafe of hot chocolate that the lid popped off of onto my hand, blistered my hand, pouring hot chocolate for one of those same girls. And I was rushed to the hospital that Sunday morning. Uh, I witnessed some really bad church politics and business meetings in that same fellowship hall. I had, literally, I had the hell scared out of me in that building by our, our pastor's mom, who was really old then. She's gone on to be with the Lord Grandma Hart. And one Wednesday night, just, just like tonight, a, a midweek, she, she was doing the children's class and she was talking about Jesus coming back and whether or not we had our lives right and, and sin and heaven and hell. And I was scared to go to bed. I don't think I slept for two or three days trying to figure out as a second grader how I was going to get my life right with Jesus. Man, it, uh, if that is fellowship, according to the Bible, there's a lot I could take and there's a lot I could leave. I want to give us a, a biblical definition of that word koinonia, and we're going to find it's actually a really full word. In short, it would mean participation. It's fellowship. It's close association between 
persons. It, it emphasizes what's common between them. And so by extension, it is, it is participation, but it's sharing, it's contribution, it's a gift. It's the outcome of such close relationships. It's the fruit of what happens when people come together in genuine, close relationships. Now, before I go any further, I, I want to make a confession to you. And uh, I may offend some of you. And if I do, you can send an email to um, Aaron Sutherland at newhopeugene.com. And, and it's simply this. I suck at biblical community. And I realize that word, some of you, you just, you cringe when you hear that word and you, you don't like it, but I don't know what other word to, to, to hit home this idea, what other word I could use. Um, I, I'm a mild introvert. I love people, but I recharge away from people. I like being alone. I'm a homebody man. When COVID hit, I was like, you're kidding me. I get to work from home. I get to pastor people from a distance. I don't have to be around people all the time. I'm really not that good of a neighbor. I don't even know if I'm good at close family relationships, to which many of you at this point are thinking, okay, Brandon, you might need a counselor uh, in your life, and you would probably be right. But what I'm trying to do, friends, is I'm trying to simply convey that what I'm teaching tonight, what I'm preaching tonight, I do not have it all figured out. I understand it theologically, but it's moving from my head to my heart. I'm trying to get it seated in my heart in such a way that it comes out in my hands and in my actions. And so what I want to do tonight is just share just briefly a portion of scripture from the Old Testament, a famous portion of scripture that you've probably heard before if you've been around church at any length of time, or even if you haven't, you've probably heard it somewhere in your past. And, and then a portion of scripture from the New Testament, tying the two together. So kind of the foundation of this idea of fellowship and community, and then the outcropping, the, the, the fruit of it, uh, the revelation of it in Acts chapter 2. In the New Testament. So Genesis 1 and 2 and Acts chapter 2. Genesis 1 and 2 and Acts chapter 2. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Bible says this in Genesis 1 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Twice the word us is used and the word our. Would you underline them both? We skip ahead to Genesis 2 and verse 18. Then God said, so Adam, they make Adam the triune God, the Godhead. They make this incredible creation, Adam. And God says to himself, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I don't love this English word helper. It's, it's actually a really full, powerful word. But God has this idea that this is not the intent. Adam looks awfully lonely. And so God creates Eve and presents Eve. A few verses later, Genesis 2 and verse 23, we see the response from Adam. Adam says this, at last, the Bible says, the man exclaims, at last, the, you know, the zebra didn't do, the, the elephant, the monkey, we couldn't find companionship there. But at last, in fact, in your Bible, it's kind of inset. The words usually are inset, which means that Adam literally breaks out in song and poetry. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So she shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Then we move to the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47, another famous portion of Scripture. Uh, at, at, at the kind of the title of this, this translation, the New Living Translation, it says up at the top there, the believers form, here's that word, a community. What does that mean? Bible says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. 
and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Friends, this is not some some forced socialism or communism. This this is a generosity that comes forth and, and is inspired by, energized by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 46. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And friends, as much as we would try, we cannot get away from this inescapable truth. We may try to run from it. We may try to deflect. But our big idea tonight is this. We are created for community in the image of God, who is perfect community, to participate in imperfect community. Let's let's read it again. We are created for community in the image of God in perfect community to participate in imperfect community community. One of my favorite theologians, his name is Stanley Grenz. In fact, he wrote a book called Created for Community, which was the text in my, uh, when I was in seminary, my my theology, the main text for our theology course. And uh, I, I just, I loved everything that Stanley wrote. I just soaked it up, especially this book, Created for Community. In there, he, he makes this quote, he makes the statement, this is our identity, colon, here we go. And I leaned in. We are the pioneer community of God. The people who by the Spirit, it's always energized by the Spirit. We will never be able to fully communicate in imperfect community because, of course, we don't have any issues, but everyone else does. And I don't know if I want to get close to other people's issues, right? Or we may be intimately aware of our own frailties and we don't want anyone close to our own. It has to be energized by the Spirit of God. He says, by the Spirit, Within us, we participate in the fellowship of the triune God. Our identity, in turn, forms the foundation for our ministry in the world. In other words, friends, we will never, according to Stanley Grenz, effectively minister in our world apart from genuine koinonia, genuine biblical Jesus community. So three truths quickly about Jesus' community. Number one, based on our big idea, more importantly, our text tonight, number one is God is perfect community. He doesn't just exist in perfect community. God is perfect community. Brandon, where do you get this? Notice I had you underline in Genesis chapter one, the word us and the word our. God the Father, God the uh, Son, God the Holy Spirit, all they're seeking to create more community. They created a a human being and then another human being. And then they gave those human beings the capacity to create other human beings who would grow up and create other communities of people that would cover the face of the earth. As numerous as the sands on the seashore was God's promise to Abraham. What does it mean, friends, that God exists in perfect community, the mystery of a triune God, the mystery of the Trinity? Uh, if, if we go to the New Testament, 
there's this incredible kind of portion of scripture, John 14, 15 and 16, uh, and then John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Jesus in John 14 through 16 is, is uh, largely about the Holy Spirit of God, this teaching. He's, he's talking with his disciples about the helper, the Spirit of God. And then, and then he begins to pray for the disciples, those who, who he was with and, and those who would come after them, us today and those in the future, all disciples for all time, he begins to pray. And there's this incredible back and forth as Jesus is praying to his father for us and God is I'm in you and you're in me I pray for our uh, these, these disciples these souls that you've given me that they would be one as as we're one as I'm in you and you're in me it's what led C.S. Lewis to describe this idea of the trinity uh the the triune God as the dance in fact that's not really um original to him this is this is what theologians would refer to kind of a um uh fancy theological word called perichoresis. And, and it's used a little Greek word to, to use to describe the three persons of the Godhead in one. Another one of my favorite theologians, Alistair McGrath, when thinking about and talking about perichoresis, the idea of a triune God, the mystery of a triune God, uh, he, he says this, it allows the individuality of the persons to be maintained while insisting that each person shares in the life of the other two. An image often used to express this is, is the idea that of community, a community of being, in which each person, while maintaining its distinctive identity, penetrates the others and is penetrated by them. And so, friends, we are um, unique we find our, we, we each have an individual thumbprint and, and yet our design is to be in community with one another. This rugged distinction and in individualism and yet this beautiful, perfect unity and oneness was the heart of God for us. So that's number one. God is perfect community. Why would I teach on community? Why, why would we even talk about life groups and being in community and share the story of Jeff and Monica? Is because our God exists in perfect community. We could stop right there, but it goes deeper. It's that that same God created us in his image for community. God himself realized the loneliness, if you will, of Adam. And Adam broke out into song when, when Eve arrived. He, 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 it's almost as if he saw himself being mirrored back, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And they had the capacity and did create other human beings to create more community. Paul, we go to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this incredible metaphor of the human body, he describes the community of believers as a human body. If we had the time, we could talk about the, the interaction of the more presentable parts and the less presentable parts and the idea that the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you, or, or to the eye, I, I really don't need you, or to you know the, 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 the small toe on the foot, you're really kind of useless. But we find that we're all interdependent. Friends, I want to suggest this, that one of our greatest needs, if not our greatest needs as, as human beings is this, to be known by God and not just known by God, but known by other people, which leads me to one of my greatest fears. And it's this, that if you really knew me, you wouldn't accept me, which leads me to my greatest pain in life, which is rejection. And I have seen people, men and women, but especially men, run from this, find all kinds of creative 
ways to get out of this when things get a little too close, they get a little too intimate, a little too squishy, especially men, they will do just about anything to get away from that type of intimacy. I had a friend who without fail would not let people in if things got a little too close. He would, his, his, his knee-jerk reaction was to crack a joke. Hey, that's what your mom says. And everyone would laugh and he'd be able to slip out. Or if that didn't work, he would just get angry at something. Never really letting anyone in. New Hope Eugene, listen, we too are created for this perichoretic dance. While we're not divine, we're created in the image of the divine to maintain, yes, our beautiful distinction and individualism as human beings and yet be together as one community. That's number two. Number three is this, we find our completeness in community. We find our completeness in community. Notice Adam's response in Genesis 2. He's completely undone. He sees reflected back in him a portion of himself, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The zebra didn't do, you know, the monkey didn't do, the turtle didn't do, but this, this one, Eve, I find myself, while we're distinct, while we're different, I find myself in this person staring me in the face. So New Hope Eugene, what has COVID taught us? Uh, I think it's taught many of us that we need and yearn for true biblical community. We're, we're, we're not asking as we come back together, you know, where's the popcorn? We miss the reality is we miss the precious soul, the person, our friend who actually makes the popcorn for us. We're, we're, we're not asking, am I going to get a parking spot or is the shuttle going to be, a, you know, be on time? Or when is New Hope Eugene going to purchase another, you know, a third shuttle? No, we miss Pastor Sean and the greeters and the ushers and, and the shuttle drive. We miss the individual. We, we, we don't stand around. We're not asking. I wonder if Winston and the worship team are going to sing, uh, you know, my favorite song. It, we miss Winston. We miss the precious souls, the people on the worship team. We're not asking is, you know, is Pastor Aaron going to be funny this weekend? Or I wonder what he's going to be. We miss Pastor Aaron. We miss the community. We miss the people. Um, I thought about how to illustrate this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a grove of aspen trees. You probably have. It's one of the more abundant, beautiful trees in North America. And especially if you've ever been to Colorado or Utah, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, the largest grove or colony of aspen trees is in Utah, uh, covering about 106 acres. And the weight of that one large grove is about 6,600 tons, which would make it together one of the largest organisms known to man. What's interesting, the reason that we would say, you know, kind of a colony or a grove or one organism is that when you see a grove of aspen trees, you're not just looking at individual trees with individual root systems. It actually has a common root system. In, in, in botany, this is called a, a rhizome or rhizomatic root system. A root system, a, a, a common system, a singular root system, a singular organism working for the common growth of all. So as some of these taller trees that tower over the, the, you know, the smaller trees and they're soaking up the sun, they're sending nutrients down to help grow the smaller trees. And the root system is even known to kind of withdraw and keep back nutrients from the healthier trees in order to serve the ones who need it, maybe that are more sick. Aspen clusters grow no matter the season, even in winter. 
And if you've um, ever studied aspen trees, you know that above ground they live for anywhere between 40 and 150 years, but the root system can live up to a thousand years, maybe even beyond. And as one stump dies, it gives birth and life to a new stump. Friends, when I, when I think about this illustration, I think about the community of New Hope Eugene. And this is our prayer for you. This is Pastor Aaron's prayer. This is our leadership team's prayer for you. It's represented in the story of Jeff and Monica Bauer that we would come together in one, as one singular organism in Jesus Christ for participation in true community. That we together would continually ask the question, how can I move from an albeit really important row into a circle because circles are better than rows. You know, friends, I mentioned earlier that I'm really not that good at uh, community and I, I do stand by that, but I began to think of ways that, that Joy and I have struggled through community to kind of do our best as imperfect people and imperfect pastors and leaders to engage in imperfect community. And I remember um, the community of people that we planted in Vancouver, uh, this church that we planted, we purchased a home there in that community in uh, October of 2010. And I remember distinctly standing in that empty home as we were looking to purchase it, holding hands. And we began to imagine through the living room and family room and the, you know, the dining areas and the kitchen, groups of people that we would host. And indeed we did life groups and, and training times and, and team meetings and, and friends just over for, you know, maybe a ball game or, or, or a meal and the laughter and the tears. And, and here's what's interesting. I, I can't name the purpose of hardly any of those meetings, maybe a, the name of a few of the life groups, but what I do remember and what I cherish are the people, the relationship, the true community, the participation, the sharing friends of that community. Why? Because our God lives in perfect community. He's created us in his image to be in participation and community with one another. And in that community, we find reflected back to us who we really are in Jesus. And we're pulled along in our growth in Christ. So friends, I want to sing this song together. It's a song of community. It's a song of hope. And as we do, I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. Holy Spirit, how can I take just a few steps today where, where I'm at? It seems impossible in quarantine, but how can I take just a few steps toward genuine koinonia, genuine sharing and participation and fellowship and community?